Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We're working our way through 1 Peter, and we've come up to what is, just from a cultural standpoint, a fairly difficult passage. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 this morning. I'm going to read down through verse 25 because this really all goes together, but I'm going to, I'm going to break these two ideas apart so that we can say a few more things about them that need to be said so that we can kind of focus our attention on these two ideas that we find in this passage separately. Let me pray for us and then I'll read the passage. Father, we thank you for your word, even for the challenging parts, and ask that you would give us wisdom to understand your word, that I might speak with clarity and care, that we might be strengthened in our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've talked about multiple times, Peter's writing this letter in order to help people who are suffering walk in the light of the gospel. These elect exiles that had been sent from their homes by the powers that be to expand the empire, uh, probably at least at some level because they were Christians, he's right, Peter's writing to them to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. When we come up to chapter 2, he begins to apply these ideas that he has been laying out of the reality of our identity uh, and our hope and our, our security being found and kept in Christ by God, the, re- the reality of, of who we are not being informed or shaken by our circumstances, but founded wholly on Christ our Savior. He begins to apply these to particular situations in his letter. We looked at verses 13 through 17 of the relationship that we as Christians have to earthly institutions, to human institutions, to earthly authority. Then beginning in verse 18 of chapter 2 and going all the way down through verse 7 of chapter 3, he writes what is known in the ancient world as a family table or a family code. We're just going to look at the first part of this today. Uh, So we're going to pick up in verse 18 of chapter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Even as I read that, I realize we may be breaking this into more than just two sections. Today, we're just going to look at verses 18 through 20. I'm going to make some comments about verse 21 as well. But we see this first installment in the family code or the family table. 
family tables were common in the Hellenistic world. And they were often used and written, and you can find them in in all kinds of ancient writers. Uh, And they were often written in order to help maintain a particular social order that had certain people at the top that they wanted to keep at the top of the social order. What's interesting about Peter and Paul as well, when they use this literary form that we now call a family code or a family table, when they use this literary form, they're not so much doing it to maintain social order as they are seeking to teach us at every level of society how we are to follow God, how we in our particular position are to trust Christ. That's an important difference in how we read these family tables as they're found in other ancient literature and how they're found in Scripture. And they always address servants or slaves. And this makes it difficult in our current situation where we are very keen on discussing and identifying injustice and seeking to make these things right. And, and we, should, we should be interested in these ideas. And so oftentimes we, we struggle with exactly what to do with this section of the family table. So I want to make a, a few comments first off. To, to begin with, slavery and servanthood, and servant really here is the better translation uh, of the word that is used, oikotes, Slavery and servanthood in the first century are not synonymous with the slavery that we tend to have in our minds, that slavery that existed in in the early days of the United States up through uh, the majority of the 19th century. Now, we can't take what Peter and Paul are looking at, what they have in mind as strict synonyms to what we typically have in mind based on the study of American history. That's not to say that what they have in mind was always some perfectly just view. We, we don't have to take that kind of Pollyannish, naive view of things. I mean, Peter is talking about the reality of unjust masters and suffering unjustly and suffering for doing good, right? So Peter's point, in part, is how do we live when we're suffering injustice in light of the gospel? So a couple of ways that the slavery, that servanthood that Peter is talking about, that Paul talks about, is different from that of the the early American slavery. First of all, it wasn't something as it was in the U.S. It wasn't something that was ethnically or racially based. Okay, so that's a, a first key point. Second of all, it wasn't something that was necessarily based on the, the, the subjugation of those who didn't participate in the dominant religion, as so often it was in the U.S., or at least that's how, at times, it was justified. That's not to say there wasn't any religious persecution or, or even you know ethnic strife in the ancient times, but that wasn't the basis of the institution that Peter is here talking about. For a third, it wasn't necessarily, as it was in the U.S., based on man-stealing. That, that wasn't how people became servants in this way. It could be something that was simply your job as, as a servant in a household. 
It could be something where you had put yourself in some kind of debt and were working for your debtor in order to pay your debt and that you were doing this willfully. Now, there are Obviously, there are other ways, if you look at ancient works, that, that slavery could come about, but we see some key differences. The, the final key difference that we see is that unlike slavery in the United States, it didn't guarantee poverty. So those are some differences that we must keep in mind when we're reading these family tables and why we can read them and not bristle at them. So when we read this, though, Peter's goal in these, as I said, isn't his, uh, you know, mere preservation of the social order, keeping certain people at the top. That, That wasn't his goal at all, really. His goal is teaching people at whatever station in life they were in what it looked like to entrust themselves wholly to God, to entrust themselves to Jesus Christ. We see this when we see in verse 19 that the motivation for suffering unjustly and and continuing to be subject to your master in the face of injustice, in verse 19, it's when you're mindful of God and do this. In verse 20, we see that it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. See, Peter's not merely trying to establish or maintain a social order. He's trying to get believers to understand what it looks like in different situations that they might find themselves in. What it looks like to entrust yourself to God. What it looks like to live in light of being born again into this living hope and this eternal security, this this grand inheritance that we have? What does it look like in our lives to live in the light of the, of the identity, the hope, the security that we have in Jesus Christ? That's his goal. It's not to maintain a particular social order that is built on systemic injustice. That's not his goal at all. We, we see him in verse 20 when he says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. We see here Peter picking up on something that Jesus said. We read it in Luke chapter 6 beginning in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. See, what Peter is calling us to in our suffering is to extend mercy to those who hate us even as our father extended mercy to us when we hated him. 
The paradigm for enduring such suffering is Jesus Christ. And we'll look more at this, but we read in verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. See, what God is calling us to is patterning our life after the humiliating mercy that he showed us. Karen Jobes writes, The cornerstone of Peter's teaching is the example of Jesus Christ, whose undeserved suffering for the benefits of others and the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan is to be the paradigm for all Christian relationships. See, the reality is, we tend to think of Christian suffering in in very specific categories. As, as suffering specifically because we said something about Jesus or something along those lines or as coming from outside of certain structures. And when it comes from within those structures or, or isn't directly attached to preaching the gospel, we tend to classify this not as Christian suffering but as injustice. And, and thereby we free ourselves to reject the structure itself at, in order to escape the suffering. The Apostle Peter reminds us that such injustice is Christian suffering and offers Jesus as the template for facing it. Now, there are many questions that have to be answered, and and we don't have time to answer them in this podcast. This teaching, of course, raises all kinds of questions. All kinds of questions of injustice, all kinds of questions of abuse, all kinds of questions of being sinned against that that are very pertinent and important questions in our day. Peter is is calling us here, and we need not over-apply this in order to get out from under the, the, the call of suffering. Peter is simply trying to remind us and help us understand here that the life we have been called to as Christians is not a life of self-vindication and self-vengeance, but a life patterned after that of our Father who suffers at the hands and in order to show mercy to those who despise Him. This is why He sent His Son, who is our pattern in this suffering. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. May we suffer well in Christ, our Savior, together.